We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because... Well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. Nah. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 76. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of Brewhoop.com. Joined as per usual by Kyle Carr and Riley Feldman. We are now one game, one preseason game, into the Milwaukee Bucks 2020-2021 season. Fellas, how are we doing now that this season is officially underway? We're doing good. It was it was heartwarming to see basketball played last night. It wasn't the top quality, top shelf basketball that we've been used to in the past, and uh, we'll get into it that uh, get into that. But um, I don't know. It was just good to see all the players out there uh, kind of get back into the rhythm of the horrendous nature of Bucks Twitter and how we all hate each other. I think that was really heartwarming to have that back. So I'm feeling good this morning. Yep, and for me, yeah, it was kind of nice watching basketball. I was kind of laughing because the MLS Cup final was starting not too long after the Bucks game, so a good chunk of my friends were talking about that while I was watching Bucks preseason basketball. They're kind of wondering if I was okay, and certainly probably thinks I'm insane, but that is it is what it is. MLS Cup finals, huh? I didn't. I gotta say, I didn't pay attention to that. I wasn't sure who's it. Maybe I saw an ad for the Seattle Sounders. Is that right? Yep, Seattle and Columbus. And I think it was. I also didn't want to watch it because Minnesota had a chance to make the final. They were winning two to zero heading into like the last twenty minutes, and ended up losing three to two, allowing two goals in the last minute, last few minutes. It was heartbreaking. Who? So wait. So who won? Columbus Crew. Okay. So the world was saved from another Seattle championship. We'll have more MLS talk the next time that Adam is out, and it's up to me and Kyle to record, and we'll just not talk about the Bucks and talk MLS instead. Yeah, it was, yeah it was we pretty much have to cover that. Once we get to the spring, it'll be a good time. <laughs> okay, well, there, there, that's been your MLS minute. We'll move on. Now it's time to talk about uh, Bucks basketball. We got our first taste of preseason action, the first of two games in a row against the Dallas Mavericks, both of which will be played at the Pfizer Forum. And the Bucks dropped this one 112 to 102. They shot just 23.7% from deep, 9 of 38. Dallas shot 17 of 43, 39.5%. Outlier, outlier game, outlier <laughs> game. Uh, but re- regardless, I think. Some of the main takeaways were Bud played his starters quite a few minutes. I thought we got a lot longer glimpse at the starters uh, than I anticipated going into the game. And then we got a good look at some of the new arrivals as well. Uh, when you're looking at the box score, Giannis had 25 points and 10 rebounds in just 25 minutes. Chris had 18. Quiet night for Drew Holiday's, Holiday's debut, just four points. Bobby Portis came through with 14 points. DJ Wilson also had 14 points. So we'll touch and go through all three of the all, all of the takeaways from the game, but Riley, was there was there something that stood out to you uh, as you were watching it last night? Was there a big takeaway that you had or nothing at all? 
the biggest takeaway was I can't believe we traded three first round picks for this bum. Four points, five rebounds, and four assists. That's unacceptable from Drew Holiday. No, I. Uh, <laughs> um, preseason games aside, uh, the thing that really jumped out to me was the lack of on court chemistry because. Say what you will about the past two seasons where we ran it back and we had Eric for a couple of seasons. Like that group had already gelled quite a bit together. Um, and even into last preseason and the start of next season, you could definitely tell like it didn't take them long to get back into a rhythm with each other. And last night, the thing that jumped out most was the fact that these guys weren't necessarily in a rhythm. Now, part of that is because you have a brand new point guard. Um, part of that is because the bench is almost totally remade. And so there's a lot of guys that are trying to figure out what their place is even, and they've only had a week of training camp. So that's not surprising. Um, but I think all that aside, it was reassuring seeing Giannis play as well as he did after he got clocked in the face by, um, I don't know who it was in Orlando or not Orlando, Dallas that got him. And then Chris also was very aggressive on the ball. So I thought, the guys who are used to being here, they stood out. They played really well, which is what you would expect. And everybody else kind of working their way through it, that was totally to be expected. So that was, I mean, it was really preseason basketball from a quality standpoint. The more things change, the more they stay the same. They had a lot of good open looks, and they couldn't hit it. The defense allowed a lot, a good amount of threes, and Dallas just kept hitting them. Um what we thought the bench was going to provide was defensive stability, you know, with Bobby Portis and Torrey Craig, you know, we thought maybe they would at least not hemorrhage a lot of points, but they wouldn't score a lot, but that was the exact opposite. Um, And I mean, part of it is, yeah, they had a brand new bench plus Pat Connaughton. And I think that was evident, especially when you took out one of Giannis or Chris. And I think the other tough part was Dante being in the sorry five, he didn't really look the greatest. He still looked a little bit, sh- he didn't look sharp. He kind of was sloppy. So that's a little bit concerning, but overall, I think for a preseason basketball game, at least Giannis, like Riley said, Giannis looked good. Chris looked really good. I think Brooks defense was still pretty good. Drew holiday defensively was really, I thought was really, really good. So that was, I mean, the things that we were told about some of these new players, you know, Torrey Craig being a hustle guy, that was evident. Drew Holiday defensively being able to handle a lot of responsibility. That was evident. Um, Bryn Forbes has a quick trigger, which was fine. Jordan Wara shooting okay. Sam Merrill looks lost as he can be for a rookie that was the 60th pick. And DJ Augustine was playing the playmaker role as a point guard really good, especially that lobby through Giannis. I think it was at the end of the first quarter, I believe. It was either the end of the first quarter or right before half time but that lob that he threw Giannis was kind of evident of what he can provide in terms of his playmaking ability so it is what it is I mean definitely a lot of overreactions but there are some issues that were still persistent like the defensive scheme and the offense struggling that we saw last year that haven't and maybe it's because it's brand new players and they're still trying to learn the base system but that was a little concerning as well yeah as a little as a little just check on any sort of reactions we will have today, I just look back at my um, recap from last year's first preseason game. Uh, it was a, a thumping of the Bulls, despite the fact that uh, almost every starter was out. Ursan Ilyasova was out. Even D, even you know, preseason stalwart DJ Wilson was out. And uh, the main takeaways I had from that game were 
a write-up on Sterling Brown's potential, whether he might be able to make a leap after the playoffs this year before, um, what Dragon Bender adds to the team, and how good it is that the Lopez brothers were playing together. So uh, take a lot of this with a grain of salt. What we're about <laughs> to say today is what I'm trying to tell you. Yeah. Was there – were you guys – so I think – we already talked about Giannis and Chris, pretty straightforward. Brooke looks like he's not going to play anything different. What were the big observations or takeaways from either the new guys or, um, I mean, we could talk about Dante being the starter. We could talk about Drew. Was there any of the new guys or people in new places, new places on the roster that you were impressed with or really jumped out at you? Kyle, I, I see on your face, you've been waiting for 24 hours to talk about Bobby Portis. I think maybe Bobby Portis is the place to start because he was the offensive juggernaut for us off the bench. Whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, we'll determine. But uh, I don't know. I think a, a big debut for our good uh, for our guy Bobby. So it's possible that Bobby Portis might end up being the best non-Drew addition to the Milwaukee Bucks. I say that not like jokingly. I think that's a very. I'm being serious when I say that, just because. If there's one thing the Bucks lacked the last couple of years was guys off the bench that will come hell or high water, get buckets. I think the last one that we had was Beasley, who did a good job at that. I think had Jabari stayed healthy, he probably could have taken that role as well. But Bobby Borders was trying his best to get the buckets, and he was finishing around the rim. He was running hard. He he was working his ass off, and I think there are going to be games that Bobby Portis probably lose the Milwaukee Bucks, but there might be a game or two that Bobby, because Bobby Portis is going to get those baskets, he's going to do whatever the hell it takes. It might end up helping Milwaukee, at least that bench unit, because like I said, there's not many bench players on this team that are going to go and try and create a shot or go for the shot. So I think, I think that was a good place to start. And I'm not kidding when I say he might be the best non-Drew addition. Yeah. Bobby Portis, man, that guy, Sure loved to shoot. I think some people commented last night. I mean, he looked like a guy who hadn't played basketball in a long time. Uh, the things Which that is were, true, because he hadn't played since March, I think, right? He was on, played, a, on the next show. Yes. Uh, yeah, hadn't played in an incredibly long time. The things that – I'll start with the things that worried me. Um, I mean, I didn't want – I don't remember a lot of Bobby Portis, you know, from the last couple of years. Remember Zach Lowe said on a podcast or something, he's like, Bud will get out of him the elbow turnaround post-up jumper um, that he's so prone to taking with the Knicks. Hasn't yet, clearly. Uh, we saw him do a post and a repost last night and then still take the shot, which hasn't haven't seen many players do that outside of Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo in the last couple of years. So kudos to Bobby for, uh, for finding his spot on the floor and getting that. I mean, one benefit of him as a big, I think, versus the last couple guys is we saw it. We saw it a few times is he's running the floor and he's not looking to run the floor and just a trail like Brooke is right. It's a different look as a big, he got a few different dunks in transition. One of which Giannis was like falling over or whatever, but that's a, that's a significantly different look of like him running straight into the paint. And maybe that's not what Bud wants him to do. Maybe that maybe Bud would prefer that he sticks around the arc, but at the very least, you know, one of the issues last year was while the bucks did, you know, were in ran transition all the time. They were more of a mediocre team in transition last year. I think a lot of that, some of that stemmed, Marcus Johnson would touch on this on the broadcast from them, their predilection for trying to look for threes in transition. You know, I I feel like I remember Wes Matthews shooting a lot of threes in transition, other players just pulling up for threes in transition. 
It was nice to see a few different looks last night, whether it was Drew Holiday pushing the ball really quickly up the floor with a long, you know, long pass, whether it was Bobby Portis running straight into the paint. And I mean, I can already foresee issues with him doing that when Giannis is driving into the paint in transition. But like at the very least, I agree with Kyle's assessment that he does give a little bit of a different look. And as crazy as his eyes look, like he has a significantly different mentality than all of the bench players that we've that we've had for the last couple of years who have felt like they need to fit inside a system. Bobby Portis feels like I have my own system. I hope you guys can make it work because I'm about to try and get this bucket here. He's going to be the definition of a double-edged sword because you're right that that is going to give us a different look. I'm not sure if that's going to be necessarily a different look that we want per se. Um, and like so, the thing that was kind of in the back of my mind all last night when we were watching was last year when Boonholzer was like, "I just let them do whatever for like 80 to 90 percent of the time." And that's fine when the roster knows what they're doing. And you could argue that it's actually problematic because then they're just going to keep doing the same principles and then the other team can just work against that. But my concern with Bobby is if he's going to have that sort of free reign, he's either going to get put in the doghouse immediately because it's like this dude has the stickiest hands ever. The ball gets to him and it is not leaving his hands. Um, I don't know. It's just going to be – and I wasn't like – impressed i don't think i was necessarily dismayed by his defense but i wasn't impressed by it either a couple of times that he you know guarded a guy in the post or was trying to you know switch over or whatever it wasn't great but i think we kind of expected him to not be good on defense and so I don't, I, i'm just worried about what that's going to look like like it's fine and i i your guys's point about the transition he's not a lumbering big like he has size but he's not with brooke or robin it's like even if they were going to the paint they were like just not slow, but it took them a while, and they're not graceful moving in traffic to try and. And there were multiple times Drew was able to find Bobby. Chris found Bobby a couple of times while there were defenders around in transition. I think that's a positive, different look. But how useful that's going to be in the grand scheme of things in our offense as a guy who's coming off the bench ostensibly, not so sure about that. So I, I'm mixed on Bobby. Not sure if I'm going to declare him the uh, best non-Drew signing. I mean, to be fair, a lot of the other guys. We're going to have to see what their roles are. They might be pretty limited as well. So from a output point of view, he might be the most prolific of all the guys. So we'll see. You're going to, you can, you'll live with, you will live with Bobby Portis. You will also die with Bobby Portis. I, I think defensively, it's really tough to automatically just like go into the system in the zone drop scheme. I think if Budenholzer were to do more switching with Bobby Portis on the floor, that would instantly help because he has the athleticism to stay with most players on the court. So I think it's just more the maybe when Bobby Portis is there, you ditch your zone job scheme and go with switching. And I think with especially if Giannis is at the five with him, then I think that's what you have to do. But yeah, and definitely the ball's not going to leave his hands once he gets it. But, you know, sometimes he might need that because it does create some unpredictability. Whether that's good unpredictability is still DV to be determined, but it, he just looks like a guy that's going to, he's going to move at a hundred miles per hour. And sometimes it's going to cause issues and sometimes it might help. Yeah. I mean, the interesting point is he won't, like you said, Riley, how much, I mean, the ingrained stuff of getting chemistry with these guys, I just don't think that's going to really be the case. And I think that's going to do a disservice to Bobby Portis, probably most of all as someone who likes to go renegade more. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe there was a chance that he wouldn't fit into the system at all and get rid of his bad habits. But this year in particular, it's very quite possible that he didn't play forever. 
now he comes in and he's like, well, I'm ready to play. Uh, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to know this system. Mm-hmm. And when we have two weeks, I'm not going to learn this in this time, mm-hmm. but just let me go out there. And ball. <laughs> I think one thing that was a little, well, we talked about the other guys in a little bit, but it was, I, I was hoping we'd get just given how much run the starters got, I was hoping we'd get a better glimpse of what Bud's like sta- approach to staggering or rotations would be. But I felt like Giannis getting hurt in the first quarter kind of threw all that into disarray. So yeah. I did not feel like we had a good idea of how Giannis, how, how Bud's going to stagger big three, maybe big four with Bobby Portis and um, stagger those, stagger the starting lineup, see who Giannis is going to be out there in terms of the bench lineup with. Uh, so I, I was a little. It was a little too bad that we couldn't get a, a clear glimpse of how he might be approaching that uh, from last night's game. Yeah, I would agree. the The other thing that when you're talking about the starters, um, I think the two big guys that stand out are obviously Drew Holiday and Dante. Dante getting the call to be the other starter in the backcourt. I'd say they both had mixed debuts. I, I want to start with Drew because the thing that stood out was when he was on ball and when he was allowed to dribble or like the ball, you know, transition or otherwise, I was impressed with his aggression. I thought him and Chris had a lot of good two-man game playing off each other, both being aggressive on the ball and finding the other one, um, especially in a set offensive play. But there was a lot of times where he was just kind of standing around. And part of that, I think, can be chalked up to the five-out offense. And I really don't know if him not wanting to dribble the ball or, like, be on the ball a lot. One, I don't know where that started. Two, if that's true, I think that's doing a disservice to what he can do for this team. Because much as I love Giannis, I, I think I'm tired of him initiating offense just because usually that results still in him doing like the wall or like a pull a jumper from three. And I'm not into that. Chris is a little bit better, but he's probably like the guy you want to, the second guy you want to get the ball to if you're trying to do like a set offensive play. And so if Drew doesn't have the ball a lot, I wonder how effective he's going to be because I think his best moments were when he was allowed to dribble, even if the shot didn't fall, you know, he, he got the defense moving. He was, you know, left to right, finding other guys. I thought I was impressed when he was on the ball, but his opportunities to do that were pretty limited. And I hope they're able to correct for that as the season goes on. So that was my big Drew Holiday takeaway. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way where when he was on the ball, he had a moment where he drove to the hoop he kind of had like a pump fake and was able to like pivot through and like put up a shot like it was maybe 10 feet from the rim. And that's something that with Bledsoe, it would have – he pro- Bledsoe would have tried doing the same thing, but it would have been so fast and it would have been less in control. And I think that was the thing that I really noticed with Drew is when he had the ball, he was very in control. Everything – even when he was driving the hoop, he felt in control. When he was able to pick up passes, it just felt more – it just felt more stable, and I think that was kind of the big thing that I noticed is with him being able to do that, that's a good thing for the Bucks, and I think that would help out Giannis. Maybe doing more pick and roll with Giannis would be ideal. Again, it's kind of tough to know because Giannis got elbowed in the face and he was out, and then he came in and he just went and drove to the hoop nonstop, which it works at most of the time, but it was definitely interesting to see how he was utilized offensively And part of that could be still trying to learn the system. Part of that could be trying to understand what it's like playing with Giannis and Chris. And I mean, especially with not having the ball as much, maybe that was just more of a deference to let Giannis find his rhythm. Because again, in that second quarter, Giannis was on a roll. So it's like, fine, we'll just let him do most of the work. I think Chris early on 
was the one that was kind of taking over and taking those shots. So it was kind of hard to find that balance for Drew between those two. And maybe I'll just take some time to understand that. But defensively, like I said, he was all over the place. He was as good as advertised with his defense. His on the ball was great. His off the ball was really good. So I was really happy to see defensively that he is as good as people have been saying. Yeah, I mean, he started off the game guarding Luka Doncic, which is kind of what you're hoping that that you're going to get out of Drew Holiday, guarding the other team's best player. I did notice later on that Torrey Craig, when he was on the floor with Holiday, Torrey Craig got the call on Doncic. So, uh, but, but I mean, the most important part is that Holiday got him from the tip. He's going to be an interesting player to watch. I mean, clearly he's still feeling his way out. I, I wasn't surprised to see Middleton and Giannis take a, take a huge role there. Kudos to Middleton for having 18 points on just eight field goal attempts. He was nine of nine from the line. So that's something that hasn't always been a big strength of his game. So good to see from him uh, getting into the paint and getting into the line. Yeah, I, I'd like to see. I mean, that's one of the things we wanted about. We wanted to see out of Drew Holiday, right? Is someone who can pose a little bit of threat off the dribble as a shooter who teams won't be able to sag off of. So theoretically, he'd be able to provide a little bit more than oh, the driving lanes are open because of the five-out offense, so he can't doesn't just have to drive to the rim. He can kind of work a little with if a defender's on him. He can kind of open up the floor more for Giannis. I agree seeing a little more pick and roll would be interesting to see from him. It was an interesting. It's an interesting interplay. The other guy you mentioned was Dante DiVincenzo, who, like you said, got the starting nod. Did not seem, at least for the first, I would say definitely for the first half, didn't really seem like he was involved much at all in the game. He kind of seemed like on the offensive end as if he he didn't have a whole lot to offer. And I think you might have made this point last night, Riley, in the chat or something, but it, it the sort of do-it-all-ness of him doesn't seem super fitting when he's you know, at a 15% usage or whatever in the starting lineup. And he's, he's just kind of out there. If that person is just, is just going to be trying to shoot threes and do, do stuff like that. That's not really Dante's probably the best use of Dante. And we saw him late in the game be point Dante, which is not the best use of Dante either. We don't want to see that either. <laughs> but it didn't seem like he might've been best served in the starting lineup. And I, I, when I was thinking about it, I guess the one issue is I don't know who else makes the most sense there. I mean, maybe Bryn Forbes, but would, and maybe because he'll, you know, the other players in the starting lineup are so good defensively that they can cover up for him. Um, but I'd be interested in, in who you would think, if you think there's a reason to make a change, like to, if you think there's someone who might fit better in the starting lineup than Dante. I think there's a guy that this past off season, we decided not to give him just a two-year deal. We decided to give him a three-year deal. The $15 million man coming off the bench no more. <laughs> Just joking. I don't want Pat Conn in the starting lineup. I think, I don't know. It, it's so dependent on what role Budenholzer or like whoever the hell makes decisions on this team envisions for Drew. Because if Drew is not going to be the on-ball guy... <sighs> The issue with DJ having DJ Augustine, if you were to like try to do DJ as the one and then Drew as the two, is one, you have nobody else to really play point guard unless you try to do the point Dante, which, as you just pointed out, does not work. Um, and two, it's the same situation where now you got five dudes who like all need the ball. Like, yeah, I guess Brooke would drop to the lowest usage in that case, whereas DJ starts it, but like we don't really have a traditional guy who starts offensive sets per se. So I think that might be wasted. So if you just look at the options, 
it would probably be Pat or Bryn if you're looking for a guy who's a more consistent three-point shooter. Um, and I, in theory with Pat, even though he bites on pump fakes a lot, he's not a huge, huge downgrade defensively. Like he, he's passable for what he would have to do. Um, so I guess you would either do Pat or Bryn and it's kind of dependent on, are you emphasizing in theory, higher three point ceiling, kind of like doing the West, like just shoot threes thing. Or do you want somebody who can also somewhat hold their own a little bit on defense would be the question there. So I, I think having drew at the one is still the best move and utilizing him a little bit more. And then one of those two guys would be my pick. I don't know about you guys. I would lean towards Bryn just, just because at least his role in the offense would be very straightforward and very simple. And all he's got to do is shoot the ball when he's open. I feel like with the bench unit, especially if, you know, DJ Augustine isn't on the floor, then it's a little bit tougher because then you're either hoping that Dante is that guy that can lead the bench, be the point guard on the bench unit, or as we saw, you know, Pat Connaughton was kind of doing it at one point. I think DJ Wilson was running. Like, there's just so many guys that were running point. It was like, this doesn't look great. And unless Jalen Adams can really take that next step, I don't think there's going to be any alternative. So I would just go with Bryn Forbes just so at the very least, his shooting ability can be simple to put in this offense while with the bench, while Dante's not the best option, at least he can do a little bit of everything so that you can still have him with DJ Augustine and it'd still work out. What I don't want to see is a three guard lineup of DJ Augustine, Dante and Connaughton on the floor at the same time, because it just, it's not working. And I'm pretty sure last year was kind of similar when it was like George Hill, Dante and Pat Connaughton. It just doesn't work having those three guards because Pat Connaughton really needs to be able to hit shots in order to be effective. While Dante, he can do a little bit of everything, which is kind of nice, but he's not great at anything. So I would probably just go with Bryn Forbes if you had to replace Dante with someone in the starting lineup, but it, it really would depend though. It's kind of tough. I guess it also depend on the opponent and what the situation is. And to be fair to Dante, it was literally only the first preseason game they've been around for a week. So there is a chance that his do-it-all-in-this, you know, I, I saw people suggesting the fact that he can be super effective as the guy that the other team loses track of because they're focusing on the other four starters. Um, because where Wes was just gen- just because of the way that they were using him, just the three-point guy, um, th- that's somewhat of a limited role. And so while Dante isn't necessarily the three-point guy, um, because he can move around and attack the basket, kind of do a lot of cutting and things like that. That That isn't interesting if he's able to adjust his own approach to it. So to be fair, it, it might be too early to call, plug, or unplug the Dante experiment, but that's just something that I kind of noticed last night is he might, in theory, be more effective for bench units if he's coming off the bench, in my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, I, I could also see that, yeah, the flip side that you just pointed out there, where he is a guy who does have a, a pretty general natural feel for the game, might be able to do some off-ball cuts, do that kind of stuff. I guess, you know, I think he would be useful in the if, – if there was a little more movement off-ball in this offense, I think he could be a little more useful uh, as opposed to just sort of slotting up around the edge. But, I mean, we'll see. Well, when you – I guess the other thing I was thinking about is, and obviously it's way, way, way too early for this, but – you know, moving past the starting lineup would though like is the current starting lineup the guys that you would you two would envision potentially as like the optimum closing lineup? Because they when I'm looking at the roster, I, that those might be the best five guys on the team. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Uh <laughs> yeah. 
I don't, I well, so the, the, only, <laughs> the, the only thing that I would say, the only guy I would probably think of like as better would probably be DJ Augustine, just because again, traditional point guard. Um, and we even saw it, like Kyle was saying last night, he's able to, he like found Giannis on a couple of lobs or like lob attempts from even from the perimeter, like within the flow of the office, which I thought was impressive. Um, he's going to be, likely a downgrade defensively but if you were looking at what's your closing five um and if you're looking for as many options as you can or somebody you can trust with the ball in his hands to try and make things happen dj augustine is probably the one guy that i would say you move him to the closing five lineup um don't necessarily need to do that for the starting lineup though i think he's probably still best served as the guy coming off the bench and seeing where it goes from there yeah, I would agree with that. Having DJ Augustine as the one in the moving Drew to the two guard role would probably be best for a closing lineup. Um, just because I think also offensively, it still gives you plenty of options. You can have you can run a pick and roll with DJ and Giannis, and that can be successful as we saw in the short moments. You can do a pick and roll with DJ and Brooke. You can have Chris, even with Chris, I feel like you could at least do more offensively outside of the five-out system, and especially when you get to the playoffs and teams more go to that wall mentality, then you have someone like Augustine who can kind of break it down and you can still use Drew Holiday's offensive ability off the ball where he can make the smart cut. He can get to the spots if he needs to, or you know, maybe if Drew has the ball, then DJ Augustine can at least shift over to the corner. It just gives you more options offensively. And while, yes, you might lose something defensively, that's why you also have Giannis and Brooke there to help out as a help defender. Yeah, DJ Augustine, 19 minutes last night, one of two from the three-point line, three three points, four assists, so a relatively quiet night. Uh, I, I think we got a good glimpse of what he can offer, though. Like you both of you said, really solid in terms of a pure point guard, potentially setting people up. Seems like he knows how to find guys uh, you know, when they're rolling or seems to know where the, you know, how to break down a defense in that sort of way. What I don't, what he's probably not going to be is someone who, you know, like George Hill circa 2019 playoffs when he was kind of able to drive past guys and get to the rim. We saw a point last night where Augustine was matched up. The Mavericks had switched. Augustine was matched up on Dwight Powell at the top of the key and uh, wanted no business with driving past him. So what, 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 but that's not necessarily a bad thing because if you have a point guard who can still shoot from deep, you know, theoretically he would have been able to shoot over Powell. And if he's able to sort of see the floor in a useful way uh, that takes a little bit of the offensive creation burden off Giannis at points, I think that's good because obviously through brute force, Giannis scores a lot of points, but we've seen that breakdown in the past in the, as well. And and I think, that's not necessarily a bad thing that he's now it wouldn't be good if he's totally unafraid, like unwilling at all times to ever drive. But what was the thing last year was like, Eric was like, his big thing was trying to drive past guys, which is good and works when he works. But then when that's not working for him or he's not confident in that, and he doesn't necessarily have comfort doing a lot else, then that obviously backfires on you. So it's not the end of the world, in my opinion, that he's not, a guy who's looking to drive immediately because that probably, again, ideally you give the offense a slightly different look. Maybe it's not as optimized as Eric at his best last year. Um, and I don't think that's what DJ is even here to do anyhow. Um, so that's not the end of the world. And I think he gives us some options to at least be creative offensively. The question all kind of revolves around again, how much freedom is there and how is Boonholzer going to end up using him? Because I think, the other thing that I 
question last night was like the defensive system looks a lot the same, especially at the end of last year where it was like giving up a lot of threes. Um, the five out offense kind of seemed to still exist, which isn't the end of the world. It worked really well for us, but I, I didn't see a ton of new things from the team on either end. And so that again, makes me question what, what are we doing with Budenholzer? Um, again, preseason game one, so it's not the end of the world. I'm sure there are other stuff that they're working on, but if they are working on adding like a new main fold to either the offense or the defense, we didn't necessarily see it, um, with everybody last night. Yeah, but yeah, I think yeah, it's one thing if he chooses not to drive because he knows he can get a better option. I think that's okay. If he's just going to decide, I'm not going to drive at all, that's when it becomes an issue. But if he wants to just pick his moments where it's like, yes, I could drive, but it's probably better if I, you know, run a pick and roll or kind of pass the ball around to move the offense, move the defense and have the offense flow going. Then I guess that's okay. Like there, are, if as long as he picks his moments, and I think he's just going to play more to his strengths. So, I think that'd be okay. It's just if he just straight up has an open lane and decides to shoot a three, that it's like, well, okay, don't do that. Yeah, we'll we'll obviously learn a lot more about the team as the season goes on. Any other points you any of you want to touch on or make about a couple of the other players? DJ Wilson, fourteen points last night. Uh, then we also saw the debut of Jordan Mora. Uh, knocked down his his first three-point attempt in the NBA, uh, looked good. And then Sam Merrill also had a three-pointer later in the game. Any, any notes, thoughts on any of those guys? Let's talk about DJ Wilson. Let's <laughs> okay. get kind of move past it, but that's fine. <laughs> DJ Wilson looked decent, decent to good. We can all agree on that. You know, he was not completely lost. He was very aggressive, attacking the rim. I mean, I can't really fault him defensively because he was on Boban, who's just a monster. So I'm not going to downgrade him for that because good luck with his frame. But offensively, he was running to the rim. He was trying his best. He got to, he was dunking all over the place. I had not seen him jump that high in a very, very long time. I think he took, you know, a couple threes. He was two or four from three. So he was offensively did a pretty decent job, you know, six of nine shooting on in 11 minutes is nothing to sneeze at. I don't think this is DJ Wilson. You know, I think the problem is I had said DJ Wilson looks decent again. And someone's like, well, he was always decent. No, he was not always decent because we've seen for the past three, four years, no matter who the coach was, he was still not getting the opportunities. And when he did get the opportunities, it wasn't, he wasn't impressive. He wasn't good. You know, after how many summer leagues and how many players get surpass him, and we saw Ursa, we saw Marvin Williams, we saw Chris Milton take minutes at the four, Nikola Miritich, even Dragon Bender for a stretch. Like, there's so many guys that seem to get on the floor before him. It kind of gives – it's more of a testament on him, and maybe it's because he just doesn't practice well and when he gets to the games. And granted, he was going against the Mavericks bench as well. So, you know, how – good does that make him i don't know he played well i'll give him that but let's not go back to this okay dj wilson was always decent it's like he had one stretch where he was decent in his three seasons as in milwaukee so i want to see more and i hope there is more but it would also be very on brand to dj wilson to be really really good in his contract year and then we got to go through the stupid debate on what to do with him come june 
my DJ Wilson thoughts, he looks slimmer than he has before. He looked out there like really thin um, because it's not like he was a big dude necessarily because he, I think he's like 6'9 or something, but he seems slimmer than he did in previous years, which maybe that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think that calls into question how he's going to fit as a backup forward uh, depending on who they play him against. But the, the other thing, and Adam also laughed about this, was Marcus Johnson. We were deep into the, I think it was the third quarter, second or third quarter when DJ was in. And Marcus Johnson was like, you know, the fact that DJ is getting minutes right now, that that tells me that he's showing something in practice or whatever. And this, <laughs> and, and this Marcus said this after literally everybody who wasn't the rookies or the two-way guys had gotten some minutes or whatever. Like, that is such an indictment on DJ that he's showing something that he's the last, like, regular roster non-rookie to get minutes. So, uh, uh, shout out to DJ. Just just running through the other guys real quick. Um, the other new guys, uh, Wara. I thought the three like he looked promising on both ends. I thought he looked okay on defense. Offensively, like the threes, he seemed to know to fit his role. It, his like interior game in a rookie first experience, not the end of the world. That was a little r- rusty. Tory Craig, good rebounds. Seemed like a good defender. He's going to probably be horrendous on offense, which we kind of knew going in. Thanasis getting fourteen minutes. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, he did a step back three and clanged really badly. Uh, not oh. looking forward to a, not looking to a lot of Thanasis step back three uh, in no the flow of the offense. Pull up step back three. No Adetokounmpo can take any pull up threes. No Adetokounmpo can take any step back threes. Stop that. I, I, I just I don't. Again, I have to call into question why Thanasis is here, and uh, you know whatever. I guess he's fun. Um, Pat. Look awful for a fifteen million dollar dude. <laughs> that was just <laughs> let down. It's it's so bad. I mean, nothing against Pat. He seems like a good guy, but I mean, oh, really, honest, uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know, real estate development's a cutthroat business. But uh, for a guy who got fifteen million guaranteed, definitely he's going to be the dude with the target on the back all of these next three years. That because of that contract, I assume we're going to have him. And then finally, Brent Forbes couldn't see a guy who looked less interested in playing a game that's probably just his like he's focused but he looked totally not perturbed to be playing professional basketball which is fine and then sam merrill i didn't really even pay attention so i i heard somebody tweeted that he did a really bad job filling in the lane in transition but he's a rookie he was the 60th overall pick so it is what it is so that's my my quick thoughts on the rest of the roster sam merrill has an ugly ass haircut that's my thought (laughs) wara looked fine I mean, he didn't have that many opportunities, but he looked fine. Bryn Forbes had some good looks. They just didn't fall. So, I don't know. Can't. It's kind of tough because if he has open looks and he's not hitting them, then that's like, is that just an outlier or is that going to be a common theme like last year? Um, Torrey Craig, yeah, defensively great. Hustle guy. That's good to see. Um, I'm not commenting on Pat Conte because Riley said it all for me. And... I think that's all the new guys. Jalen Adams looks fine. I mean, he looked fine as well for a two-way guy. Kind of bummed we didn't see Diakite, but maybe we'll see him a little bit more on Monday. And I don't think any of the training camp guys got on the floor either. So I don't think Nick Stauskas or Justin Patton or any of those, any of them got on the floor. So that was a little interesting as well. I would be surprised if we see any of them. They seem like Bud's just trying to get some five-on-five players for for training camp. So I think they're going to probably take advantage of a, every preseason game that they can. Yeah, kudos to DJ Wilson. I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be good when Thanasis got the call early and uh, Wilson was still left on the bench. I 
tough look for the guy, DJ. But 14 points, didn't somehow made some shots inside the arc, which, like, whatever, man. You made some shots in the paint. It could could have been a lot worse. You could have missed them all. If it's a summer camp deal, we're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, he had 14 points. <laughs> you know, if, this was, if, this was, if, if he was a second-round pick, we'd be like, oh, hell yeah, we found, we got him. Just think of it like summer league. If we saw that game, we'd be like, wow, he's showing a little bit more. Those flashes inside uh-huh. the arc. Oh, that's nice. Don't we get thrown do off. Do Don't get thrown off, DJ. Don't worry. We won't be, won't be thrown off. All right, that's the end of our uh, premature preseason takeaways we were we were able to spend 40 minutes on uh, on the preseason game one so good put mark it in the record books don't forget what we said it's gonna hold true all season all right <laughs> let's move on a little bit the uh the elephant in the room is uh Giannis spoke this last week to the media following uh, practice there were obviously questions about his contract essentially said stuff to the degree of I'm going to focus on basketball my agent is basically handling that uh, apologies, I don't have any direct quotes here, but that essentially seemed to be the thrust of what his argument was. Of course, as everyone knows, the deadline for him to sign that Supermax is December 21st. He can't sign it in season, so if he doesn't sign it before then, we'll essentially spend all year probably speculating uh, about whether he'll sign it or not. There'd still be an opportunity next offseason, obviously, but for now, we still don't have an answer as to whether Giannis will sign the Supermax in Milwaukee. Did either of you did, did what he said after practice make either of you feel any differently about how whether he will or won't sign the contract? Nope, because I had said I would have been shocked if Giannis had talked to the media about this the whole time. This was before he spoke to them, and even if he did, he probably wasn't going to reveal much. So I think the problem, and then he does talk to the media. He doesn't give anything away, which I think annoyed Bucks fans more and put them more in a panic. But it's like he's never been one to want to talk about it. He's I feel like Giannis is just that he wants to play ball. He doesn't want to care about the contract details. And honestly, I think he's probably got a has little involvement. I think it's kind of I think he's aware of what he can get. I think his agent is the one kind of working out the deal with horse, and his agent's just like, here's what you gotta say. And I think also. It's also, I think the agent's setting himself up so that if things were to go south and Giannis decides not to sign it, then at least while most Bucks fans will still be upset, maybe they'll direct that anger over to the agent and set us straight at Giannis. Or at the very least, if there are questions, Giannis can say, look, I'm again, I'm not dealing with this. Go to my agent about it. So I'm not surprised he didn't say anything because I wasn't expecting him to say anything. Like, if anything, he would have said... I'm still weighing my decision. I think that's the only thing he could have said that would have made people feel better. But what's the point of saying that if, especially if the media is going to turn that into, well, he's going to leave. If people are going to turn that into whatever narrative they want to, again, I think the only people that really know what he's going to do is Giannis, his girlfriend, maybe a few of his family members and his agent. I don't think anyone else has a clue what the hell he's going to do. I know everyone's saying, that the Bucks feel confident that he's going to sign it. And it's one thing to feel confident, but it's another thing to actually know what's going on. So I, I think he's already made his decision. I just don't, I think he's made his decision on whether he wants to stay in Milwaukee. It's just a matter of, does he want to do it for five years? Because I think there's a New York times article and it mentioned that while Giannis can't sign the Supermax midway through the season, he can still sign any other contract extension. So maybe he takes a two year, like a two year, Deal. Maybe he does a one year 
and then a player option the final year. Like maybe he still decides he wants to stay in Milwaukee, but give it still prolong it as much as possible. So I don't know what he's going to do. I don't, I'm kind of over it. I've been over it. I feel like whatever he decides, it's not going to change the fact that Milwaukee probably needs to win the title this season. And that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. It would be nice if he signed the Supermax. It would be enjoyable. But I also understand that if he doesn't think that Milwaukee can win a championship, and this is almost last-ditch saloon for them, if they don't win it this year, then you got to have to ask some serious questions on what do you do if Drew Holiday comes back? What do you do with Chris and Brooke? Do you try and ship those off and get some of the draft picks that they lost back? Like, what do you – it's going to create a lot of questions. And while he also said it's not championship or bust, I think for Giannis, he could say it's not championship or bust because he can go somewhere and get a championship. While for Budenholzer, your job is likely on the line if you don't win, if you at least don't show signs that you can win a title. So I'm over it. I don't know what more people wanted from Giannis other than him explaining why he hasn't signed yet. He's not going to give that away. Yeah, I've... I'm similar to Kyle. I reached a point of indifference to this whole situation a while ago. Um, to your question, Adam, of whether or not what he said made me feel better or worse or like more confident, I think it was good that you know he's he, he acknowledges the gravity of the decision and he didn't say something like, "Well, we'll just see how the season goes." Like the fact that he's like, "It's it's in my agent's hands or whatever." Um, points me towards he's not against signing an extension. Like Kyle said, it might be you know whether the type of extension. I, I'm too cap dumb and I don't know enough about NBA contracts to know what other details they could be working out. But the fact that he said, oh, it's in my agent's hands. I mean, like people pointed out, ultimately at the end of the day, whether or not he wants to stay or not is up to him. The actual details of that, um, <clears throat> that just kind of, you know, I don't know what the scope of that is. The, the thing to me about the, does Giannis, he, he cares about winning. Like that, that's his thing. <laughs> If he does, I really and, – and he opts to leave, you know, would I begrudge the guy? Probably not because we had the Jason Kidd era, which was kind of a flame out. But you know, at the end of the day, you have to look at the roster. And while there have been mistakes and people point and be, you know, there's – whether it be like the Pat Connison contract situation, the Bogdan situation falling apart, like there have been mistakes – you still, I don't think you can look at what the Bucks have done the past couple seasons and say this is not a team that is like capable or like willing to try to win. I mean, we sold the damn farm for Drew Holiday. We we tried to make the Eric Bledsoe trade. We tried to make that work. Brought in a coach. We were the most winningest team for two years in a row. And yes, we fell short in the playoffs. And the blame for that goes around to a lot of different people, Giannis included. Like I did, you know, as much as I love it, he he fell short in playoff series because of his style, the way he plays. I'm not going to claim that he needs to learn how to play basketball like some like media members will do. But if his thing is he's going to say, I'm loyal and I'm looking to win, you could be loyal by staying here. So far you have, you never like made a trade request. And looking to win, I mean like what the like we, this is not an abject team that if yes, if he left, we wouldn't be as good. But this is not a team that's totally bereft of talent. We have talent. We've had talent for three years now. We've had a good coach. Yeah, I have questions about his capabilities in the playoffs. But to me, I just think if he's going to ride or die on the I want to win thing, there 
there is no real evidence in the immediate future. You could wonder long term if how that holds up, but there's nothing that I could say he could point to and say, well, we're not winning. Are we not getting to the final? Sure. But that is a multi-tiered issue that also includes him. And I hope he's willing to accept that. And, and this is me getting hyped up, assuming that he like bails on the team. He, he might sign the extension. It might be all good. But if that's going to be his thing, um, I would say there's an equal argument to say that the Milwaukee Bucks are also committed to winning. And while they've fallen short, it's not that they're not doing it for a lack of trying. So that's kind of where I'm at. And if he decides not to sign before the season, it'll be annoying. I'm not, I guess I won't worry too, too much. Um, but because I'm so indifferent to it at this point, it, it, I think that's probably what's most disappointing is the fact that the situation with Giannis has reached a point, it, his fault or otherwise, that I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it now or in the future. I think that's just a strange place. And I don't know who to blame for that. Um, and, and that kind of throws me off with the whole situation, I guess. Yeah. And I feel like if he doesn't sign it, then we're just going to go through another season of everyone saying he's going to leave. And that's what we've been dealing with the last two years anyway. So it's not going to be any different. It's just that it's more realistic that he will actually leave compared to well the bucks still have on a contract and he's still gonna he's still gonna honor the contract so we don't have to worry about it i i guess i'm in the same boat with the indifference i think it's also just everyone thinks they know when he's going to sign or have created these theories of when it's going to happen or have decided one way or the other that's going like he's not going to sign he is going to sign that at this point i think we just all need to realize that what regardless of what he does we still he, we still will cheer him on throughout the season. He's going to play for the Milwaukee Bucks this upcoming season, unless he demands a trade. And even if he demands a trade, you don't have to trade him. You just have to tell him, deal with it. You can leave at the end of the season. We can win the championship. Like Riley said, this team was not – it's not the, that the team's not talented. This isn't Anthony Davis where there was no realistic path to winning a championship. There is a path to winning a championship. It's just – Everyone on that team has to be better than they have in the last two years. And that's going to be the bigger question on can they make that next step? I, I, I just, just to reiterate and then add a bean go, it, it's just the winning argument has us, requires us to ignore the past two seasons in their entirety where, like Kyle said, there has been a path to winning. Now, Again, the reason why we keep talking about this team and all its problems is because they didn't get to the ultimate, you know, the promised land. But we can't pretend this this team did not win. They won a lot of games. And they did it like half-assing it half the time too. And so it, it, when we're going to continue to do the winning argument, I just get tired of that because it's like th there is no enjoyment with this team. It's like we can't even say that we have one because it's just it's annoying. That's that's It's annoying. The whole situation is annoying to me at this point. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, we've waited our whole lives for a team that's this good, another this good, and it's gotten to the point where it's sometimes hard to enjoy all the fruits of, of what they've done these past couple of years. The regular season has seemingly become irrelevant, which is a little upsetting because, um, I don't know. We write I, so many recaps and we write so many previews. <laughs> Whatever. I think this this regular season is going to be really interesting. Um, just I think there's going to be a lot of since there's so many so much new cast, so many new characters to see and track. Um, but I mean, it's still pretty fun to watch the Bucks beat a team by 50 two nights in a row. I mean, that's insane. That's so mm -hmm. crazy to me. Uh, and you're right, Riley. I agree with the winning argument. I mean, they certainly made steps. I mean, there's incredibly frustrating 
incredibly frustrating loss to the Raptors a couple years ago. Last year, the issue, I think, primarily was, yes, a bubble. Yes, things went really crazy. But it seemed like a lot of the same mistakes were made, which is, which is I think, what, what infuriates everyone. Um, and, you know, the front office felt like they were clear that they felt like their approach needed to change. They took their steps this offseason, essentially went all in to try and make some changes this year. Let's see how Bud feels about that. I think he's gonna, a lot of it's going to come down to that. And a lot's going to come down to the players, too. Like you said, I don't think Giannis has borne very much brunt of the blame in the playoffs. But matter of fact, he has not been the best player in in those playoff series that the Bucks lost, despite the yeah. fact that he's the MVP. Kawhi was the best player in 2019. Jimmy Butler was better than him last year. And if you want to win the championship, you got to be the best player in a playoff series. Matter of fact, this team is going to go as far as Giannis can take them. Bud's got to help with that, too. Uh, I'm I'm also in both of your camp. It's not it doesn't make for great podcasting, but I'm relatively indifferent to what Giannis does at this point. It's it's just a pretty insufferable topic to me. But I certainly understand why it makes people upset. I mean, this is the best player we've seen in forever. The team has fallen short. I absolutely understand why people, you know, obsess over it, freak out over it. I mean, I definitely have friends who are we text about it, you know, all the time and that kind of stuff. But um, I, I personally, I'm a little indifferent to it at this point, but if, if it does make you upset, if it does drive you up a wall, I think Kyle's advice was good was at the very least, the Bucks organization has made it pretty clear. Giannis is going to be on this team this year. Hopefully you could find some ways to enjoy this year. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That would be my, my advice to you if possible. And don't worry too much because the reinforcements are coming right over the horizon in the form of a man with a huge beard from Houston. Uh, I don't know if we want to talk about the James Harden, the James Harden trade. It's got a butter wife, but we might as well address it. <laughs> Honestly, no, he's not. He doesn't actually want to come to Milwaukee. He just wants to put. Okay, I want to be on a team that can win a title, and Milwaukee is a team that can win the title. So yes, I will put him on there. Also, I don't even know how you can make a trade work. And still, like, you can trade, I think I saw Middleton and Brooke or Middleton and someone else. Like, you can make it work. But then it's like, we already are hard capped to the point that we can't even have a full 15-man roster. Now you're going to make this trade to make it even lower so that you have 13 players. I don't think, like, 12 or 13 at best. It would, James Harden, for all of the complaints I have about him and how much I don't like him as a person, he is a very, very talented basketball player. And that if Milwaukee can find a way to make it work to get him, then they should at least entertain the idea. I'm not saying they should pull the trigger. I'm just saying if you can do it, why not? You can win a championship with James Harden and Giannis as a combo. It would be entertaining at the very least, but I don't think he actually wants to be in Milwaukee. I don't think John Horst thinks he wants to be in Milwaukee, so he's not going to try and make the trade. I, I think it's just one of those where you got to put it title contending teams, and that was a title contending team. I can't think of a worse cultural fit. It all George John Horst has done is just go for culture on almost all of these moves. I would say sometimes probably to the team's detriment occasionally. Um, you know, didn't want to technically try and bring back Brogdon. He seemed to not want to be on the team again which is fine, but I can't think of a worse cultural fit for the type of ecosystem that the Bucks seem really, really invested in than James Harden. So I, I just don't see it happening. 
Uh, I would agree with you guys. Don't know the feasibility of a trade. I saw somebody was like, we'll just move Drew. I'm like, what? I've already got invested in Drew being like a new guy here. We got to keep him. Like, I wouldn't worry too much about moving Middleton as like, oh, well, Giannis would get upset. Like, Chris and Giannis seem to like like each other in the way that like longtime coworkers who don't dislike each other, like like you're just used to that guy being there. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. But yeah, I, I don't know the feasibility. And like, again, at this point, the franchise has to cater to every Giannis yes or no on big deals like that. And I can't imagine Giannis would be thrilled to have like James Harden as this, maybe he'd like be okay with it after a season, but I can't imagine getting James Harden guarantees the signing on the dotted line because they seem to have beef with one another. So yeah, across the board, I, I think Kyle's point that we were just thrown in just to get thrown in, but Hey, it's cool that we get thrown in, I guess. Right. right. Like, that's cool. We're on the mountaintop at this point, so yeah, that's that's my extended James Harden thoughts. Yeah, it was just, it was like I said, it was just a weird thing. Like everyone's like, "Oh yeah, we can do this." Like it's very feasible. It's like no, I, I don't know how out of nowhere the Milwaukee Bucks become this team that could get James Harden. Like if it weren't the team before when the rumors were first coming out, he wanted to be traded. I don't think it would happen now. Yeah, I don't think Giannis. If it was up to him signing off on it, he would. Because let's be real, Giannis, for all of the great things he does, has questionable roster decision management. The fact that he sounded like he preferred Bogdan over Drew was questionable. So it doesn't necessarily tell me this is it. And kind of like with Middleton, I think they're close in the way that you know the per- you've known someone for eight years. They're gonna know them pretty well, especially when it's going to be like you joined the team at the same time as well. And you're both good. And they're fighting, like they were having battles over training to get like they're close in the aspect of they played together for eight years and they just know how the other person operates close. I don't think they're, you know, hanging out outside of practice, even before COVID, like they're going to each other's places and, you know, hanging out and stuff like that. It is funny. I feel like, it, do you remember you guys remember the narrative about like Giannis and Jabari don't, aren't necessarily the best friends. And like that's that's a huge issue for our organization. That's mm-hmm. so funny to me. What a lifetime ago. All right. Anyway, yep. kudos to James Harden. Thanks for putting the bucks on the list, buddy. All right, we're gonna take a quick ad break. On the other side of this, we're gonna do our miscellaneous topics, close it out, and make our predictions for the final two preseason games. So stay tuned. All right, we're back. It's time for rapid fire questions. Take us away, Riley. Rapid fire this week. Got a couple of basketball, non-basketball questions. It's a good mix. Uh, first question, did you already forget that Nick Stauskas was on the team? <laughs> Honestly, I forgot he was until I looked at the box score and saw his name was on there. I was like, oh, right. He's on a training camp deal. Because it was never announced by the team. I don't even think like Eric Name had announced it. I, like He may have just thrown out a tweet. So I completely forgot that Nick Stauskas was on this roster even if it was a training camp deal. Yeah, I forgot too, besides the time I invested in a quick newser for the site. Yeah, I uh, I was a little mad when Kyle mentioned him on the box score because I was hoping I was going to be able to get you guys with that. So uh, yeah, shout out to Nick Skouskis. <laughs> Don't see you making the roster, my friend. Uh, okay, so let's imagine it's non-COVID times. Let's imagine there's not a pandemic going on, right? What U.S. state would you want to go to next and why? I can go first. Uh, I would go to California. I have been there before, but I have not been to San Francisco. And my wife's 
family lived there. She grew up for like the, there for like the first eight years of her life. Her grandpa's still out there. And she's been out there all the time. So I really want to go out there with her and see the city and see California. So that's kind of top on my list. I would say Colorado because I've not been to Colorado and I, other than like flying through the airport. So, you know, I hear a lot about Denver. I hear a lot about Colorado. I, everyone talks about everyone wants to move there. It's always on someone's list of states they want to move to. So I think that would be the next one just to see if it is as good as everyone makes it sound like it is. So Colorado for me. Oh, I would choose Wisconsin because I just miss my home state so much, given all the uh, COVID time. So that would be Adam, you hater. Kyle doesn't count because he's already there. <laughs> I've been here. Um, I'm not leaving. I came back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, will DJ be able to secure a fully guaranteed second contract anywhere in the NBA after this season? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, minimum deal. <laughs> right. Like someone will someone will make a deal. It will be a like a minimum deal. He if he does what he did yesterday, he at least shows he's worth a minimum contract deal. So I would say yes. Okay. We're all a bunch of Wisconsin boys uh, to certain varying aspects. We've lived in different parts of the state, some in Waukesha, others not in Waukesha. <laughs> we all live in cities now as well of various sizes. Would you ever live in New York City, the Mecca? Would you ever want to live in the biggest city in the land? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to be there, depending on which borough, I guess. Like, I wouldn't want to be in Manhattan. I probably wouldn't want to be in Queens. But I'd at least give, like, Brooklyn <laughs> a chance. So, yeah, I would, I would do it. Oh, God, I like that breaking down, breaking down New York like it's tape, mm-hmm. like it's tape. <laughs> uh, I I don't think so. I think it's a. I, I mean, I've only visited a few times. It's just a little big for me. That's one of the things I like about Philly is it's a it's a little more approachable. Feels a little more neighborhoodly. I can walk from one side of it to the other, an hour and a half or something. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think I would want to live there. I think it's a little too hustle and bustle for me. I'm right there with you. I, I, Minneapolis, St. Paul is the perfect size mid-tier city for me. It's It's got everything I could need, but it's too busy. And it seems exhausting. It's just exhausting being like people, everything, too much for me. Uh, will Giannis ever have another season where he shoots above 34% from three? I should note that he shot 34.7% when he was a young KD as a rookie. No, no, no I don't care. No, no I don't care if Giannis <laughs> But if his free throw chain that was noted is sustainable, that's going to be better. What are we thinking about the, the Giannis threes? The scripted play last night was to start the game was a Giannis three. What are we they, thinking? They just they annoy me at this point. I get mad every time he takes a three. I'm like, stop doing this. Especially if, so we got so used to Eric being the bad pull up jumper and transition guy, and Giannis is like, now that Eric's not here, somebody's got to step up. And then he was taking bad jumpers from three. I'm like, stop doing this. It's I, it's a long season if he wants to take the occasional three, but the set plays thing. I'm like, this is just a waste of time and pissing me off at this point. So I'm done with the three point experiments. I have no problem if he is wide open and he can't drive to the lane and he has a chance to shoot it. Fine. Take the shot. No problem. Do not do. Yeah. Kind of like what Riley said. Do not do a early in the shot clock. Pull up three. Do not do. I don't know why you would do a scripted play for three for Giannis. You might as well just say, fuck it. Here's, here's a turnover. Have <laughs> <on the team." laughs> I would make sense. 
What I, what I think we need to institute is, is for all the Brew Hoop listeners out there, if we're ever watching a national game, Giannis hits a three or airballs a three, and the commentator says, well, if he ever gets that shot down, we all <laughs> have to hop on there and take a shot, okay? Everyone must take a shot of Mimi's favorite liquor. And whenever we hear the commentators say that, because I don't, I can't, I can't live through it again this year. I can't do it. How many years has it been? Eight years? Seven mm-hmm. years? Yeah. The thing that's most annoying about the Giannis threes is like he still hesitates too. It's like one thing if he's wide open, and he's just like, and it's like, come on, man! Like we already, everybody gets made fun of for their slow release, and he just lines it up like a catapult. It's fine. It's whatever. Final question for today: I think everybody, when you were a kid, you had a favorite planet for whatever reason, whether it be your horoscope planet. You thought it was cool when you were first learning about the fact that there are other planets. When you guys were a kid, or even today. What was your favorite non-Earth planet? Or Saturn. you could say you love Earth. I mean, that's... Oh, Saturn, I okay. I don't love Earth. <laughs> Saturn. <laughs> I just thought the rings were cool. Um, Mars, I'd say. Still chance of life. Read a lot of sci-fi books about life being there, potentially. So life seems pretty good up there. Yeah, I like to. I believe the correct pronunciation now is Uranus. Uh, but I thought it was super dope when they were like, "There's this planet out there that's tilted totally sideways, and we have no idea." I was like, "That's pretty cool." So that was my. Uh, plus, if you look at any of the images the past couple of years of like the gas giants and the ice giants out there, they're pretty cool looking from the satellites we got. So, uh, yeah, good planet talk to end the uh, rapid fire for this week. Awesome, thanks, Riley. All right, we're moving on. It's time for Kyle's film review. Yes, yeah, so we have another Netflix Christmas movie. Um, just because that's all that's on lately. Between that and Disney movies, that's all we were watching. So this week, it is Midnight at the Magnolia. Um, this movie was the most... It was the dumbest plot I've seen for a Christmas movie in a while. It's oh, no, wait, hold on. No, we're, we're moving on from a week ago from what to me sounded objectively like the worst Christmas movie plot. So what, how is this one even worse? Because this all could have been solved. Okay, so it's the story is like these two families. They like own this kind of like speakeasy type of bar. And then like their kids, um, they grew up together, went to school together. They become adults and have a radio show together so then initially with the radio show they're going to talk about bringing each of their significant others to meet their families for christmas because i guess they're talking about like oh they've never done that i don't know that sounds flawed and stupid but that was the plan but then both of them they end their relationship with their significant others so they decide to fake date each other to just keep the charade going but it's kind of revealed that one of them had a crush on the other one back in high school and the other one may or may not have felt the same way but because of different relationships it just ne- they just it never happened and then it gets to this point where an ex-girlfriend comes back into the picture that pisses her mm-hmm. off it creates this whole problem obviously they have to have their conflict and go their separate ways but then they finally he decides to play this song and like at first he was writing the lyrics and it's like everyone's like oh it's for this other person he's like no that's not it and then you listen to the song it's like what the hell yeah this was easily for this other person it's clear as day like how do you not realize that what you're writing here it's like the most blatant love song you can think of and he's trying to act like no it wasn't for this other person no i never wrote this about her and everyone in the room is like 
you're an idiot. So why it has the dumbest plot is because you're really going to tell me that you didn't realize you wrote this song for this person at like age 16. And here you are, I'd say, give or take 10 years later. And now you realize, oh, this song was actually about her. Like, no, that it, that is what I'm talking about when I say it's the dumbest plot. And then obviously it works out and then they get married and happily ever after. It's all, of course, it's all around Christmas slash New Year's. But God, that was so stupid. It was just like I, the movie was fine at first. And then it just got to that plot twist. And I was like, really? You, you're really going to, this is what you're going with. This is the story that, wow, I give it a two out of 10. It was so dumb. Wow. Such a waste of time. Wow. That's not good. <laughs> So it's, it, like it sounds said, a lot like the- okay. It was okay for the first like major for the majority of the movie. It was okay, and then it just went to shit. The plot kind of sounds like if I was going to introduce my podcast host to my family during the holidays, but like you guys just you quit out for whatever reason. So I'm like, okay, uh, Andrew and Mitchell, you're my podcast host now. We like fake like we do podcasts together. That's it's very similar. So I can understand where there are flaws in that pro- in like the plot from there if you look at it that way. Yeah. Wow. Well, tough look for Midnight at the Mango Magnolia. I promised listeners also I didn't speed up. Your audio cut out for a second, Kyle, and then all came out back at once. I didn't speed up your description just because it was uh, whatever. I didn't speed it up. So that was that was real. That was natural. There you uh, go. Thanks, Kyle. There we go. Another Christmas movie to put on the list uh, in addition to <laughs> Happiest Season and the app that saved Christmas or whatever. Yep, the app that saved Christmas and Happiest <laughs> Season and now this. I have been picking winners. This is what happens when you don't watch your usual suspect, uh, your usual like powerhouse Christmas movies. Oh, God. All right. Jesus. Next segment. <laughs> Riley, it's time for the uh, uh, fountain pen slash ink review. Yes, yeah, so this week we're going with an ink. Uh, I ran out of new fountain pens, but I got so many inks. So this week we're going to be talking about my Sailor Four Seasons Shikiori Tokiwa Matsu, which is pine green in Japanese ink. It's a, like, hunter green. Let me see. I don't know if you guys will be able to see. It doesn't look good on there because it's so thin. Uh, the th- line is quite thin. But the thing that matters most is it matches really well with the Sailor pen that it goes in. So this is like a hunter green. It's almost the exact same color. Um, and the thing about like the high-end Japanese pen inks is like they're extremely well-behaved. They're usually not crazy colors. They're very muted. But in this case, the whole series of inks is like different natural occurrences. And so like a pine green, I think it looks a lot like pine green, like a pine needle, pine tree or whatever. So um, quite pleased with it. And it's in a cartridge. I purchased like a needle, a hypodermic needle to like refill cartridges and stuff. So I'll bring that up eventually this season. Um, but yeah, the ink journey continues on. And this is, I, green's my favorite color and this one really comes through for me. So I'm quite pleased with the uh, the product. So Shikiori Tokiwamatsu from Sailor. High recommendation. Got a little, little green on there, a little Christmas spirit. Thank you, Riley. All right. It's time to close it out with our predictions, fellas. Next two preseason games. It's December 14th. That's Monday against Dallas at the Fiserv at 7 p.m. Central. And then Friday, December 18th at New Orleans, 7 p.m. Central. What are we thinking, Kyle? You go first. What's your prediction for the week? I will say they beat the Mavericks and lose to the Pelicans. I I think they'll figure – I think what happened with the Mavericks was they couldn't hit shots, and the Mavericks did. 
And it was very evident when Milwaukee shot nine of 38 while Dallas shot 17 of 43. And they only lost by what? 10 points. So, I mean, that's going to make a difference. So I think they'll win this go around and then lose to the Pelicans. I don't think Bud plays the starters as much. So it's going to be a very bench heavy game. I'm going to guess 0-2 this week. Uh, I just want to note Kyle making the note about Bucks shot poorly and the other team shot well. Uh, hopefully, Boonholz is able to do more with the roster so that our breakdowns of every game is simply we shot well or shot poorly and the other team shot well or shot poorly because that's that's not exciting basketball in my opinion. Uh, I think we'll lose against the Mavericks just because you know, second verse, same as the first. Uh, the Mavs, are they gel a little bit better. Um, we'll probably play the starters less. And then against New Orleans, maybe of the Drew game, but I think at that point that'll be even like you might even just do a weird starting lineup. Plus, we'll get to see future 20 and 10 guy who plays 30 games, Zion Williamson. Uh, I think he's probably going to have a decent preseason or something. So I, I guess we're going to lose both games. I'm going to guess uh, one-on-one. I think they'll beat the Mavs this next matchup uh, behind a huge Bobby Portis output. And then, <laughs> uh, and then I see a loss to the Pelicans. I think last preseason game, he's just, Bud's just going to rest everyone and, um, not as deep as we were last year. So I don't, don't, don't foresee the bench doing quite as well uh, this year. So one and one is my prediction. Yeah. Uh, Bucks basketball. Sorry. Good to be back. It's good to be back. Good to have some real games to break down, kind of real games to break down. Uh, but we're going to continue on through the preseason here. We're going to close today's show out. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Go to brewhoop.com. We've still got some preview pieces before the regular season uh tips off uh, next week already i guess that's crazy um but anyway go to brewhoop.com follow us on twitter uh like us on facebook if you want uh and share the podcast with your friends subscribe and thank you everyone for listening